Hi, everybody. I'm John Aslan, and welcome to another episode of This Week in APA. I want to once again thank my good friend Nick Vitas for giving us that This Week in Appa theme music. I like to call it Viva Nick Vitas. So welcome back to This Week in Appa. This is something that I've been teasing for a while now, really for about the last four weeks, ever since the end of the 2022 Appa convention. It's the interview between Greg Wells and Fritz Light. Fritz came to this most recent convention and boy, did he shed a lot of light into his years with the Apple Game Company, working with the likes of legends. Uh, Dick Seitz, obviously, the guy that uh, was the original uh, owner, along with Skeet Carr, Vero Lincoln, uh, just uh, a guy who knows a lot about the organization and really had a lot of insight and compelling information that a guy like me who really hasn't been a part of this game company for that long, uh, when I think back to some of the guys that I've met at the conventions that have been playing since the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, uh, these guys, I think, and, and you guys who know who I'm talking about, uh, will really appreciate and get a lot out of this Q&A session between Greg and Fritz. So I'm not going to tease it any longer. We're going to get right to it. Ladies and gentlemen, Fritz Light being interviewed by Greg Wells at the 2022 APA convention. This really is a great honor for me. Uh, I, was, I was a young child myself when I started playing APA, and I remember... Uh, reading one of the brochures about the people that ran it, and it was it, it was a picture of Skeet and Verl and Dick and Fritz Light, and I thought, man, how cool it is! I was ten. How cool is it to run a game company? That must be fun. <laughs> I'm gonna guess we're gonna find out tonight. Maybe it's not all fun, <laughs> but uh, it's a tremendous, tremendous honor uh, this evening, uh, and uh, really looking forward to the conversation. So uh, let me just introduce. The former owner of the Apple Game Company, Fritz Light. Thank you very much. That's undeserved, but very much appreciated. Uh, I uh, have really been uh, enjoying seeing the awards tonight, and particularly thrilled to see the Hall of Fame inductions. I will say that uh, I didn't expect to see the rules as a uh, tough act to follow. <laughs> uh, and I will point out that uh, Empire is supposed to be a simulation. So as far as your complaints about slow play go, have you watched the big league game? <laughs> I watched the minors. They have the pitch clock. John, thank you very much for inviting me. It was a 
No, it's my pleasure, and I'm very glad to be here. I wasn't quite sure why he pushed so hard for me to come this year until he was speaking this afternoon, and uh, as he began to talk about limited life expectancies, he was looking directly <laughs> at me. <laughs> I had, um, just a couple of years ago in 1953, uh, a couple of experiences that affected the rest of my life. I had, uh, according to my parents, been fascinated with baseball since the age of one or two and uh, began to listen, on the uh, listen to games on the radio. We did not have a television, lived in a very rural farm area, and uh, very few people had television. But every uh, connection that I could make with Major League Baseball, I made, and uh, I enjoyed every game I listened to on the radio because I was always thrilled for the winning team when the game was over. Uh, I should have stuck with that approach all of my life, but uh, when I was uh, seven years old, early in the season in 1953, after having listened to a game with my dad, and uh, uh, in this particular game, I don't remember who the teams were, it might have been the Giants and the Dodgers, but I'm not sure. Uh, one team scored five runs to break a tie in the top of the tenth inning, and uh, I said the game was over, I was going to go out to play. And my dad got furious and said, the game is not over until the, uh, until the last out. And believe it or not, the home team, whoever it was, scored six runs in the bottom of the 10th inning and won the game. So whichever team it was, I was thrilled with them. And my dad sat me down again and said, uh, you know, you can't do this all your life. And I had no idea what he was talking about. He said, uh, you have to pick a team, and that's the team you root for. If they win, it's good. If they lose, it's not so good. But the thing is, once you pick a team, you're stuck with them for life, so it's a very important decision. So the only way you get out of it, uh, and he had an ulterior motive I learned later, was uh, he said, if your team moves away from you, then you can make another choice. Otherwise, your team is your team. So I took this very seriously, and I deliberated thoughtfully for several days. We got uh, the Yankees on the radio, we got the Dodgers on the radio, we got the Giants on the radio, we got the Phillies on the radio, we got the A's on the radio, I very rarely got to stay up late enough to hear any of a night game, but on a really good night you get the Pirates and once in a while the St. Louis Cardinals. So again, I was considering this carefully and I even asked my mom, who wasn't much of a baseball fan, uh, and she said, well, I like the Dodgers. Uh, I said, why? She said, I like Jackie Robinson. Well, I was a long way from understanding the social significance of that. and. Uh, while I was deliberating, my dad also said, uh, you know, I know you're thinking this over, but if you choose the Yankees, I'll be very disappointed in you. <laughs> he, said, he said, it's just too easy. Uh, and then he said, I, I would also not choose the A's because I don't think they're going to be around here much longer, which turned out to be true. Uh, after one more year, the A's were gone from Philadelphia. So, uh, after careful consideration for several days, uh, I mistakenly chose the Phillies. And uh, I've been there ever since, like most Phillies fans, and there's been a lot more misery than there has been joy. Uh, so that was one experience. The second was, uh, in the same year, I was given a baseball game. And uh, I was told before I opened the package that it was a baseball game, so I was very excited. I had no idea there was any such thing as a baseball game. Uh, when I opened it, I was a bit disappointed. Uh, it was a pretty drab-looking game. Uh, 
the uh, artwork wasn't particularly catchy for a kid, and it said, realistically, scientifically, you are the manager. Well, I didn't know what realistically meant, uh, and scientifically, I didn't know what science was, and I didn't think that would have much to do with a baseball game. So I was kind of disappointed, but when I got it out uh, and began to play, I was immediately hooked and uh, tried to think of different things to do with it. The first thing that occurs, of course, is to replay the World Series. But I had, in the meantime, learned what the word realistic meant. So I thought, what point is there in replaying the World Series? I already knew who won. Same thing is going to happen again, probably by the same score in every game. So I uh, decided to play a series between the two last place teams, which turned out to be Pittsburgh and Detroit in 1952. And it was a uh, thrilling series. First six games were split, and the uh, Tigers held a 5-3 to three lead going into the bottom of the ninth inning of the seventh game. Uh, the Pirates managed to get men on first and third with two out, and up to the plate strode George Catfish Medkovich. Um, I may not remember these days to take my pills. Uh, <laughs> I may forget the names of close friends or relatives. I may forget all sorts of important things. But I can remember, as though it were happening at this very moment, that when I rolled a 66 for George Catfish Makovich, and on a single column card, John, <laughs> appeared a five. And I immediately realized that George Catfish Metkovich had unloaded the most dramatic home run in baseball history, even eclipsing Bobby Thompson, a three-run home run with two out in the bottom of the seventh, uh, ninth inning of the seventh game. So after that, uh, if I hadn't been hooked before, I certainly was at that point. Uh, I was somewhat disappointed later on because I couldn't wait for my dad to get home and show him what had happened, and somehow he didn't seem to entirely grasp the cosmic significance of that. Uh, so that's it. I will, uh, as far as I know, be taking questions from Greg and probably from you as well. As I said to Greg earlier, no questions are off limits, but maybe some of the answers will be. <laughs> that's a fabulous story. And we all have that type of story, right? That's, that, that great moment. Uh, so before I get into the Q&A and the conversation with Fritz, uh, I'm going to fuss with the mic again. And then I'm going to introduce John because John has uh, a presentation he'd like to make. By the way, the only two people that ever owned the Apple Game Company and are still alive are about to talk to each other. That's uh, before I start, though, I've been multiple times today requested that Roy Langan's Game of the Day wants to say something. And since he's the oldest person here, I think, he's been to every convention, he trumps everybody into the authority. So, Roy, where are you? He's right there. <laughs> he's, what are you looking at? Me. he's like looking down the room. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody. I got a question to ask you. Was it 66-1 when Metkovich's court? No, he said five. Oh, five. Pay attention to the story, please. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear that. <laughs> he was asleep. I can't believe you weren't hanging whenever you were. I mean, <laughs> well, I'm, up here, I'm up here for a different reason. 
Um, several years ago, quite a few years ago, John created a new award to periodically recognize a few individuals who have, over a period of time, contributed to some extent to the benefit of the company, hopefully the success of the company. The most recent awardee was the second one, and I would ask her if she would come over here and help me make this award. You all know Connie. Mm. And Greg, since you are involved in every damn thing that goes on around here, why don't you give us a hand also? All right. All right, thank you. And Connie, would you read the award, please? Okay. This is the AFA community is proud to present the Roy Award to for all your his contributions to the AFA community to Greg Wells. This is very nice. It is. I love that I have an award named after Roy. <laughs> Later, I hope to play a game of the day where he has an A and C starter and I have a DW starter. All right, John, did you have you had more to do, right? So I understand that I don't know what. No, you know I said no two weeks, three weeks. I know. Did you do that? No, this is happening. No, good. Appreciate it. Greg is right that you know Fritz is a fabulous resource for me. And uh, I, I can't tell you how happy I am he's here. We have a couple of questions, and I have a presentation. What were you thinking replacing a legend? I didn't really have much time to think about it uh, at the time, but uh, I had uh, expected it to happen long before that and not in the way that it did. Uh, I had. Uh, come to the company with the expectation of buying it before too very long, uh, too very long stretched into a longer period of time than I expected. But uh, I had uh, handled enough in the company to uh, be uh, fairly confident that uh, there weren't going to be any huge hiccups in the meantime, and uh, uh, until I decided to sell the company, I don't think there were. Fritz had the toughest portion of the history of this company. You were the president when the world was going from board games to computer games or to end all. And you had to fight through that, negotiate that, and nobody had a whole lot of experience with that. And advocate through on the other side. You did a podcast this week at ABBA with John Aslan, which is a weekly podcast. Well said it's monthly because he's only on once a month. <laughs> and you told John that one of the reasons you sold the company was you had run out of ideas. Remember that? Yeah. So I went through the catalogs, which was an idea of Fritz's for a period of five years. I counted over 80 new products that were introduced during that time. Computer products, sports, hats, video, cassette recordings of games. So 
not many people would have had 80 ideas, much less felt like they ran out of ideas. But every morning when I come in, I do two things. First thing is, my 10-year-old granddaughter, I have a video of her when she's five years old, leaving the Fox Theater after Aladdin. And for a minute and 52 seconds, it's dan uninhibited dancing of a five-year-old. And that puts everything in perspective for me. The second thing I do, though, is I read the ABBA philosophy. Remember on the inside cover of the catalogs? Yes, I do. I'm going to read it to you, and then I have a plaque with the philosophy to present to you. Because this is one of the centerpieces of this community and the philosophy of this community and why it is good and positive as it is. The ABBA philosophy. Ever since Dick Seitz, our founder, introduced the first ABBA baseball game in 1951, our company has had a legacy to maintain, and we still do today. We intend not only to maintain it, but to build upon it. We will create and market products to you, the dedicated sports fan, in accordance with the highest standards of quality and at a fair price. I was going to say, no comments about prices. <laughs> <laughs> Our product line, just like the huge universe of ABBA fans, will continue to expand. You, the ABBA sports game player, belong to an exclusive group. You know far more about sports than the average fan, and you demand excellence from your sports simulation. We will meet your demands. We are delighted to provide, for your wonder and enjoyment, a wide selection of games and sports-related items. No sports simulations mirror the nuances, the quirks, the subtleties, and most important, the real feel of a sport the way AVA games do. So take the game home. You won't even need to worry about parking. <laughs> we are committed to providing for you the easiest possible access to a large variety of goods which meet our tough standards. Not all the products in this catalog carry the Abbott name, but you can be sure that everyone brings with it our seal of approval. If it's in our catalog, we believe in it. We believe in you too. Without you, there would be no games to take home. We are enormously grateful for your patronage and your support over the last four decades, and we will attempt to repay you by continuing to enrich your leisure lives. Abbott creates more than just games. We create friendships too. Over the years, our games have brought thousands of dedicated sports fans together. In fact, the friendships which have been forged through ABBA are our proudest accomplishment. Fritz, we have a copy of that. You can hang it in a place of honor or in your garage or whatever. But just so you remember, we appreciate you and we are eternally grateful. grateful and I didn't remember what a great job I was doing. <laughs> I like what John says. I'd like you to interview Frizz and then ask him two really good questions before I get the mic back. <laughs>
Greg, put it between them. Between them. I'm just going to hold it like this. And I'll just do that. So, how are you? I'm all right. Having some fun tonight? I am having a whole lot of fun tonight. So, not everybody here probably knew who Fritz Light was before the day started. So, uh, how about giving us you know, a, a wonderful story about, you know, the first time you played the game. But how did you come to work for the game company? How was your journey to the, to the top of the, the chart, if you will? Tell us a little bit about that. As I said, I played the games from a very young age and uh, wound up taking my first job with Johnson & Johnson in 1968. Uh, things were a little different for young men then. I only lasted four months at Johnson & Johnson before I got drafted. Uh, I wound up uh, being in the Army for nearly three and a half years and fully intended to go back to Johnson & Johnson at the end, but uh, I was uh, advised by an uncle of mine who was a friend of Dick Seitz, and in fact was the person who had given me my first game when I was a child, that Dick was looking for uh, an understudy and an eventual replacement, um, and suggested that I interview, which I did, and uh, began work there about uh, a month after I was released from the Army, and wound up being there in one way or another for uh, about 29 years. So I think it's uh, fair to say that was a career, it was a good career, it was a rewarding career uh, in, uh, in many ways, and uh, I am very grateful to have had the opportunity, it isn't that often that you get an opportunity to work with a product that you loved uh, decades before you even began your professional career. We're gonna talk. <laughs> I know. You've actually been really good at it. It's me. <laughs> so, uh, so Dick Seitz, someone that I think we all would agree that we owe a debt of gratitude for. I mean, he sort of jumped up this whole thing. Really? So, uh, that what you tell us a, a little bit about Dick and, and and your relationship with Dick. You know. He's obviously was your boss for a long time. Dreamt up a lot of things in the games. Uh, had a wonderful imagination. Clearly, I always say that I've been in marketing for 30 years. I've never read a marketing piece better than the football brochure, uh, which Dick wrote, I believe. Uh, yeah. So, tell us a little bit about Dick Sykes and your relationship with him. The relationship was uh, was excellent for the first several years, and it wasn't bad after that. We we agreed much more than we disagreed, but I, I said to someone else earlier this evening, uh, one word that didn't particularly appeal to Dick was change. And uh, he, had, he had the good fortune, we had the good fortune as a company to uh, do essentially the same sorts of comparatively simple advertising, marketing, uh, each year for a period of 30 years, and each year it got better. Uh, then along came Pong, and Atari and uh, other sorts of competition. And uh, um, Dick was uh, more reluctant than I was to, uh, to put it mildly, to uh, move into the electronic world. And uh, to uh, amplify something that John mentioned earlier, uh, saying that I'd run out of ideas. I did say that, but it was most true in one particular area. Uh, most of the time, during which I owned the company, uh, my concentration 
and most of the company's revenues were focused on attempting to attract more young people. Because if you looked at our financials every year, they were better, we looked terrific, but it wasn't hard to see if you were on the inside that we were selling the same, uh, we were selling different products to the same people who kept buying and buying. We were not attracting new customers, particularly young new customers at the same rate we had for decades. And uh, uh, Dick's reaction was uh, essentially that uh, things would turn around, that the, uh, uh, these computer games are a fad. Uh, if it's a fad, it's lasted quite a while. Um, so we had some disagreements about that, but eventually we did uh, uh, put together a software product. Uh, once I purchased the company, it became pretty clear to me that we were not going to be able to compete with the electronic products of a, uh, a Sierra or an Electronic Arts. Our argument at the outset was that they were all graphics and if you wanted a true statistical representation, our games were the better choice. And they were initially, but it wasn't long until the uh, big guys started doing uh, realistic uh, uh, statistical simulations as well as having the graphics and uh, uh, I believed uh, that uh, our software product would only reach a limited audience. So that was my, uh, that was essentially the idea I'd run out of, uh, how to attract more young people and I congratulate John because he's done it and it's really gratifying to see some young people here tonight uh, and uh, it's uh, it's one of the more pleasurable things I've had this evening, and there have been many already. So I'll double back to computer games, but I did want to talk about the evolution of both the baseball and football game while you were, Dick was still there, but I think you were very much, as I understand it, you had a lot of input, for example, into what we now call the master football game, but it was the new football game at the time. I understand that you were very much behind the design of that, changing the cards and those things. Several of us here will tell you that they think that the football game is the single best face-to-face -face board game you can play. Not a sports simulation game, it's better than Monopoly, in my opinion. So, tell us a little bit about that evolution of the football game, the decision to change from the old game to the new game, and, and some of the things that went into that. I did do the new football game, but I had a, uh, obviously, a very extensive base model, namely the original football game to work with. The uh, um, the new football game wasn't so much necessary, in my view, because uh, because the game itself had become outdated. Uh, but the uh, the game had been uh, the game had become outdated because it didn't fit with the uh, contemporary version of actual professional football. Uh, in 1957, you had defensive halfbacks called defensive halfbacks. You had five-man defensive lines with uh, the guy in the middle called the middle guard. And uh, those uh, designations continued for longer than they should have because uh, Dick didn't want to change the original designations he had in the game. So there were, there were statistical changes, there were foundational changes, uh, and there were uh, changes in nomenclature. But again, I had a, uh, a very functional model to work with to begin with, and uh, I, did, uh, I did do most of that game myself with the uh, occasional help of my three-year-old daughter who would come in on a Saturday and spill ink on the floor or something like that to help me out. Well, it's, it's a fabulous game. Truly a great game. So uh, I imagine when you go to work for the Apple Game Company, at some point you get to start to make Apple cards. 
And so tell us a little bit about maybe the first time you made some Mappa cards and did you like the process of making cards and figuring out fielding grades and things like that? Uh, was that something you enjoyed doing? Did, did Dick sort of oversee it or did, you take, did he say, here, do this season for us, something like that? I started doing them the first year I was there. The first set I did was the uh, uh, 72 baseball season beginning in the fall of 1972. And uh, maybe the uh, first 10 plates, Skeet would know what I mean by plates, which would mean the, uh, the first 10 players on each team uh, alphabetically, uh, which is the way they were printed. Uh, I turned them over to Dick and he would uh, uh, tweak them or more commonly make suggestions as to how I could have done something differently, uh, number placement or whatever. Uh, after that, he really never checked anything that I did, uh, which I guess was a compliment. Um, and uh, I, card making was one of my uh, primary duties after that. And yeah, baseball in particular, in particular, I look forward to every year and uh, making the old seasons was uh, a lot of fun as well. And as a Phillies fan, is this must be why the 77 Phillies are such a good team. <laughs> the 77 Phillies were actually a very good team. <laughs> had, had Bruce Freeman gotten the call right at first base in the third game, uh, they probably would have been in the World Series. <laughs> so did you get a lot of calls back in the day of people that, you know, we hear about the Josh Allen guard, you heard this, the conversation today about you. Did you get a lot of that kind of complaining at the company? And, and what was sort of the, the attitude? Or maybe you have a funny story about that? Sure, all the time. Uh, and uh, I said to uh, John earlier, sometimes difficult to remember that uh, the people who were asking questions, which are uh, uh, bothersome to use a kind word uh you ought to be very happy as uh, an owner of a company that people are that interested uh so i tried to have a uh, uh an attitude of gratitude most of the time but uh, i didn't uh, i didn't succeed 100 percent of the time either <laughs> and i will tell you a story about dick we had one particularly troublesome customer and uh, when i finally persuaded him to put the uh, uh all of the company's records, most specifically and importantly, the uh, mailing list uh, in electronic format. And we bought our first systems in maybe 1982 or thereabouts, Ski, something like that. Oh, come on. You're... Yeah, 82, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're, you're, even, you're even older than I am. Anyway. Uh, there was, a, as I said, an especially troublesome customer, and uh, Dick knew nothing about the computer systems. He was, one, once it was proven that they actually worked, and that we could want, uh, grind out mailing labels in the course of a couple days, rather than having people hand-type dupli stickers for months at a time, uh, he was pleased. But he, didn't, he never touched one, didn't know how to do anything, but he was sick of this customer, and uh, he asked you, or I, I kind of think it was Vero, how he could delete this person. <laughs> and that's what he did. An excellent customer down the tubes. <laughs> so when I think about the game company, right, and there's obviously these three separate owners, and I won't count MMIs since they were sort of a company, but Dick, yeah, and, and there you go. 
the sites years, which were the developmental years and the growth years, and, and the late years I think of as the innovative years, and a lot of innovation and change, and of course, we think of the Hurston years as just sort of sad. <laughs> <laughs> but I did want to talk about the computer game, because obviously, in, and this is with, I think Dick was, to your point, still alive when computers are coming out, but, and I, I had heard many times that Dick didn't think computer games were anything more than a fad, but, to your credit, I think, you developed several good computer games. I mean, the BBW game has been around for since the mid-90s. Very little code change, still holds up. You look at most games in the mid-90s, they look like they're from the mid-90s. BBW doesn't. And, you know, the basketball game was pretty good, and we talked about the football game earlier, so we won't go there, but you tried. I think that's a big part of it. There's a lot of effort in the computer gaming space. So talk a little bit about the development of computer games and how the fact that Apple was a playable game as opposed to necessarily tied to the statistics in every single way and how that sort of sort of played out in the computer space. Uh, Dick was still uh, uh, opposed to, as he called it, computerizing the game, uh, but he was beginning to waver some. And one day we caught, got a call from Random House. Uh, it wasn't every day we got a call from Random House. And uh, they said that uh, they had a uh, programming group that were AppBot players and uh, they wanted to do a, uh, a software version of the game and Random House wanted to publish it if uh, contracts could be work out, worked out. Uh, this was kind of a bold out of the blue and this got uh, Dick Seitz's attention in a big hurry. Uh, those were the days when every company in the world was putting out software and thinking it was a gold mine, even if the software was essentially worthless. Um, so Random House did supervise and edit the development of the electronic product. It did fairly and uh, almost completely faithfully represent the board game. And uh, it had the uh, uh, video audio, which is what I always called it. It was kind of like a radio broadcast, except it was on the screen. Uh, working with Miller Associates was uh, a challenge and uh, uh, I think the problem was not so much uh, not so much essential conflict but uh, it turned out there wasn't that big a pie and there were a lot of pieces to go around. Uh, naturally, Miller's had to uh, try to make a buck on it too, and Roswell Miller, who was the programmer of the game, was a, a very competent code writer, had been with IBM for years and years, and uh, I thought they did an excellent job with the game. Uh, Random House then uh, introduced the game in a party at 21 in New York, which cost them in, in those days, I don't know, $50,000, uh, taking a wild guess, and there were uh, press from everywhere, including Vogue magazine, <laughs> People magazine, and people you knew who were there for the free food and drink and had no interest in what was going on. Uh, anyway, that was the introduction. That was about the extent of uh, Random House's marketing campaign. Uh, after having done no advertising whatever after the game was released in April or May of uh, 85, I believe, uh, I began to uh, prompt them to uh, begin to do something. And they said, where are you advertised? And I mentioned a couple of publications. I said, there ought to be things that uh, 
uh, would appeal to the uh, electronic fan that wouldn't necessarily uh, fit where we're advertising. Why don't you try one of the computer magazines, of which there were several at that time. They're, they're, they're too expensive. Um, so finally they got down to Baseball Digest. And they said, well, what kind of ad do you run in Baseball Digest? And keep in mind, this is random ads, billion dollar publishing operation. Uh, they said, what do you buy? I said, well, we buy a full page. I don't remember these exact numbers, but let's say a full page cost $800. Uh, they said, oh, how about half a page? <laughs> and believe it or not, how about a quarter page? This is for a product that they spent a, a large amount of money in development for and uh, blew a fortune at 21, and they never did, they never did uh, uh, market it at all. So then it fell back to uh, uh, us trying to make a deal with Miller Associates because they owned the code and we owned the model for the code and Miller Associates trying to make a deal with us and neither of us was really prepared to do that and uh, we kind of both struggled along for years under the same umbrella with uh, kind of uh, handshake agreements and uh, it never really worked out ideally for either one of us but uh, as Greg said, I think the model is extremely well done and does hold up uh, even to the present, and that's not, not something you can say about a lot of software products. Is it true that there was this? Make a joke. Is it true that there was discussion about putting Skeet on the cover of Vogue? <laughs> <laughs> not on my part. <laughs> so. When you look back on your time with Opera, both before you owned it and as the owner, what are your fondest memories of that, that whole journey for 29 years in Chicago? What, what do you think about now when you look back on it? Well, my happiest memories are the period of time that I My happiest memories are the period of time that I owned it. We had a, uh, uh, a great core of employees and Verl and a few others who were extremely dedicated, uh, thoroughly honest, and uh, with whom it was a pleasure to work. And uh, we, uh, I think, made a few changes which were a bit more palatable to the employees, and uh, I felt like we had a really good working crew. Uh, again, the trouble was we weren't attracting new people, and I could see trouble in the future because of that. Uh, but those were really... Uh, Really pleasant times, and uh, I very much enjoyed going to work every morning in those days. So hindsight's twenty twenty. How did you this one out? Do you ever regret selling? Oh, I regret that every day. Uh, it was a uh, a terrible decision on my part, uh, but made for one reason and one reason only, which I've touched on already, and that was that we weren't attracting new customers. Uh, Micro League had, uh, or Sports Associates, as it was known at the time, I sold to them, uh, had a retail presence. Uh, that company had been responsible for a micro league baseball back in the 1980s, which had been the first successful electronic baseball simulation. Thatcher Longstreth, who many of you would remember, was on the board. Ruley Carpenter, who owned the Phillies, was on the board. Uh, and uh, they had, uh, as I said, a retail presence and promised me that they would be able to uh, market this new customers and not of course uh, not only make those sales of course but then bring those customers in for the uh, follow-up sales which as John mentioned early uh, it's a razor and blade business and that's where the real money is um, I uh, 
knew it was a high risk sale because it was a, uh, a risk taking company I was selling to. Uh, and I had, I'm not going to go into this uh, and bore everybody with it, but uh, I had a backup plan which did not materialize and I'd be happy to talk to anybody about it afterwards if you're interested. But in any case, uh, it turned out... I'm just going to point out every single person... There's nobody who's not paying attention. Okay, I'll go through with it. This is, I've never said this publicly, and this will sound like whining, because it probably is, but uh, uh, when I sold the company, I had uh, a key provision that provided for reversion of my rights. It was not a stock sale, it was an asset sale, if you understand the difference. I wasn't selling stock in the company, I was selling assets that the company owned. If Microleague, as I'll call them, defaulted on any of the uh, obligations that they had to me personally or to the remaining App by Game Company, Inc., which still owned the building there, uh, I could uh, call for reversion of the sale, reclaim my rights, and reclaim ownership of the company. Um, I uh, thought that was important because it was a risky sale, and I knew that there was a very high upside. But uh, if the company failed, uh, I didn't want to be left with nothing. So I thought in the very worst case, uh, maybe if they perform poorly, they'll do a little damage in the meantime, but I will be able to reclaim the company and uh, uh, pick up uh, maybe a little bit below where I left off, but not far. Uh, does anyone know what UCCs are? If you took out a mortgage, you, you would have had UCCs. That's what enables your lender to uh, take possession of your house if you default. So I had UCCs against all the uh, uh, APA assets, which would enable me to take the company back if uh, they defaulted. Well, they defaulted uh, in numerous ways. And I went to a meeting with uh, Summit Bank, and uh, which was the bank of the company at the time, and. Penn Janney, which had been the primary funder of Microleague, and was a combination of Penn Mutual Insurance and, and uh, Janney Montgomery Scott. Um, I went to the meeting and announced that uh, I was taking my uh, assets back, and someone bank said, well, you can't, you're in line behind us. I said, no, I'm first in line for all the assets, the APA assets, and I know that. It turns out, as I, sold, uh, as I told you, I sold to a company called Sports Illustrated, in advance of their going public to sound, and I will use the word they use, sexier, they changed the name to Microleague Multimedia Inc. I did not read all the fine print, which was my own fault, when there were volumes and volumes of docs when I did the sale. It turns out if a company changes its corporate name, you must refile your UCCs, which I had not done. So I found out I had nothing, and uh, that was uh, not a particularly good day. <laughs> So anyway, I thought when I sold that uh, we might uh, succeed substantially, and in the worst case, I would be able to uh, resume, and it turned out that uh, neither of those was the case, which again was no one's fault but mine. Wow. That's a great story. And not that great. <laughs> it might not be a positive story, but it's fascinating. And... You know, it, I would say this, right? You must feel good as you look around today, and, and you know, I like to make fun of John, as we all do, but uh, the company's doing great, and you can see that, I'm sure. I'm very, so, I'm very, I could not be more pleased to see that. So, um, Ski Car, of course, is a very important part of this group, and something uh -huh. that we love and respect. 
and we see him once a year here and, and whenever we can. Uh, I don't know about anybody else, but my favorite skeet car is a slightly annoying skeet car. So maybe you can tell a funny story about skeet. Don't just annoy him a little. No, I won't do that. I will take off on something he said last year when I uh, tapped in by phone to the convention. And he said, uh, you always took care of Earl and me. And uh, I think as often as not, it was the other way around. And by the way, and I should have said this up front, for those that weren't here, uh, I had a little chat with Skeet last year, and uh, he started out less than warm, but he warmed up to the idea. But at the beginning, you were kind enough to call in, and it was really a lovely moment in the room. And you can see, I think, now that you see the room, how, much, how nice that was. So, you uh, sold the company, you had a successful career beyond that. Uh, I know you're retired now, so what is life like for uh, Frisk Lake these days, and is APA any part of it? It really isn't, and I didn't complete the story because although I, I was unable to reclaim the company, I did, uh, at the uh, request of the uh, turnaround guy that uh, Penjani brought in, remain uh, for the uh, unfortunate and extremely uh, humiliating and embarrassing bankruptcy that the company I sold to went through. Um, and. Uh, I will say, uh, I've, I've exposed my stupidity. I'll, I'll uh, give myself a pat on the back here. One of the best compliments I ever heard was when this turnaround guy came in and said, uh, I'd like you to hang around for the uh, bankruptcy. And I said, well, Norm, I, I don't know anything about bankruptcy. I don't see how I can be of any assistance. And he said, well, uh, we need some transition from the old administration. And I've discovered that you're the only guy around here that anybody believes. that? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, I was with that company then for, uh, I believe, two or three, maybe as much as three years after the bankruptcy, trying to help bring APA back. And by the way, during this whole bankruptcy, pre- and post-bankruptcy, APA and the printing company, to which I eventually went to work for, uh, were both making money. It was the rest of the company that was hemorrhaging it and uh, uh, really going around in circles, at least in my view. By the time 2001 came around and the bankruptcy was uh, uh, discharged, done with, uh, the company was refocusing its uh, uh, resources on a product called Our School, uh, an educational product which it seemed to me, even not being an expert in this field, that other companies were already doing better. And uh, I thought that uh, it would be best for Apple to have some new blood. Uh, I also really did not want to work under anyone else's control after having owned the company myself and having the freedom to make my own decisions. And I just thought it was best for uh, for me and for the company to make a change at that time. So I haven't done much with APA since then. Uh, I have all my baseball cards. Uh, unfortunately, I stored a lot of uh, my memorabilia at Foxfire. And when Foxfire was sold, Foxfire is the printing company I went to work for eventually. Uh, when Foxfire was sold, the new owners uh, fired me promptly and uh, threw out the boxes in the warehouse that were marked Fritz. So that was the end of that. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I do a little bit of consulting work, primarily for John Freddy, who owned Foxfire, uh, his new company. But mostly uh, I read books and uh, I enjoy myself and I loaf. And uh, on Sunday nights, I don't have to worry about what might happen Monday morning.
So what'd you think? Pretty good stuff, huh? Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. The, uh, the interview was everything that it had been advertised uh, when we knew Fritz was going to come to the convention. Uh, John Herson said, we got to get this uh, on tape for the podcast. And it figures that in 114 podcasts, the best one possibly is the one that I absolutely had nothing to do with the interview. <laughs> and my thanks to Greg Wells. And Greg, a, a legend in his own right, or in his own mind, either way. But, uh, you know, what a great job he did in elicit, uh, eliciting information uh, from Fritz and uh, getting him to go a little bit deeper in the areas that I don't even think Fritz thought he was going to get into uh, when he started the conversation. But uh, just some really, really good stuff. Uh, I, I've heard it. This is, I think, the fifth time I've listened to it. And I get the same amount, if not more, enjoyment out of each and every time that I listen to it and get more information and more things uh, come out of it for me. So I know you won't be listening to it just one time. The best part, again, is you don't have to listen to my voice during the during the conversation. But uh, again, uh, a, a great uh, Q&A. Uh, and uh, of course, Fritz Light, uh, really, he is, he is on the Mount Rushmore of the Apple Game Company. Uh, thank you to him. And, uh, you know, uh, I've, I've talked about this. I believe I've talked about it before. Uh, but I'm going to try to uh, do a series with Fritz about covering the history of the game company and maybe starting by decade or maybe by every five years uh, so we can kind of split up the, the podcast episodes. Uh, try to get Fritz to give us uh, maybe even a little more in-depth, step-by-step look uh, at the Appa Game Company. So uh, look forward to that. I'm still trying to clean up some interviews from the uh, Appa Convention. I have a few more to do. We'll have an awards uh, podcast, got all the guys that won awards, uh, including the uh, tournament champions. Um, we're going to do that as well. And maybe a couple other things uh, if uh, I can... Uh, kind of figure out how to get it done during the editing process. So uh, I want to thank everybody once again for listening. As always, uh, there will be more content from the 2022 Apple Convention. Uh, so uh, keep an eye out for that. And once again, uh, keep on getting me feedback if you would like. Let me know what you like about the podcast, what you don't, how we can improve it. Uh, believe me, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take all under consideration. So until next time. I'm John Aslan. So long, and thanks for listening to This Week in APA.